Today's show is sponsored by Mac Weldon. They make the most comfortable hoodies, sweatpants, underwear, and socks that you'll ever wear. Normally, I say I'm wearing them right now. I am not wearing my Mac Weldon socks right now, and I wish I was because they're they're not as comfortable as my regular Mac Weldon socks. If I was wearing them, I'd tell you that I look good and smell good, but I can't say that today. I'm just wearing regular old socks. I wish I was wearing Mac Weldon socks, which you can get at MacWeldon.com. Get 20% off your order with the promo code RECODE at MacWeldon.com using the promo code RECODE. If for some reason you don't like your Mac Weldon socks, you can keep them. Mac Weldon will send you your money back. You get free socks. That's 20% off at MacWeldon.com. Promo code RECODE. I wish I was wearing Mac Weldon socks. This is Recode Media with Peter Kafka. That's me. It's powered by Digital Media. That is a real company with a funny name. I am here with Craig Finn. Welcome, Craig. Hey, thanks for having me. You are the very first rock star I've had on this podcast. You are also the only rock star that I went to junior high school with, so I think those two things are connected. <laughs> rock star is a big word. Um, I was going to say working. I was going to say working musician. But working rock star mu- sounds cooler. Working musician. Rock musician is probably accurate as well. You are a professional musician. You play music for a living. That is true. That's that is awesome. True. That is good. Yeah, I mean, um, and it's something that came late. I mean, um, it did not come until I was in the Hold Steady, which is a band I started when I was thirty-one, and didn't happen probably until I was thirty-three, thirty-four. So. You know, uh, there's something for persistence. There's something for persistence, and 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 it, the degree of difficulty gets harder for musicians. Period. Right. And I think in 2017, making a living in, in music is is even tougher. I want to talk about all of that. Yeah. Um, I also wanted to talk about the fact that you have a new album out. Mm-hmm. It's called "We All Want the Same Thing." So we're going to time this hopefully, so this will come out around the same time it's coming out, because you want press around yeah. an album. I'm going to ask you a bunch of dumb questions, so here's the first one. Why in 2017 does it matter when an album comes out and what kind of press push you get? If I'm, if I'm going to listen to it on Spotify, whenever. So it might not, but, you know, I mean, there's part of it that's rooted in how I uh, think of music. And I, I always feel like I need to pull together 10 or 12 songs to, to make kind of a grand statement. And that's because I grew up listening to albums. And that's, that's how it's I vestigal, think. It's vestigal, sort of. Yeah, that's how I think of things. And it, it's important. Uh, I think you can re- release singles. But I also think that the sort of, the, I mean, you know, the press push and all that, I mean, even something as, as simple as hiring a publicist. You know, if you had one song... Are you going to hire a publicist to, yeah. to tell tell the world about the song and go around and do all the uh, interviews? And so I think there's it's it's a, ma- a matter of like putting something together and then going out and it, it's still an album still feels to me like the right amount of songs together because you grew up listening to albums you still think of them as sort of the way to make music. Yeah, even sequencing the record, I think of like oh that's like a great song for the beginning of side two. And that's just, I, you know, younger people probably won't think that way, but I, I'm probably going to think that way till the when, end. When you sit down and listen to music, do you listen to albums all the way through, or are you, um, are you a playlist guy? Um, mainly, well, both, but um, I do listen to albums. For new music, I kind of create these shuffles, you know, like I'll uh, drag a bunch of new albums and I'll, you know, listen to them on shuffle uh, on my headphones when I'm on the train or whatever, but at home I'll put on albums. Yeah. Do you, are you a vinyl guy? I am a vinyl yeah, guy, but guy. there's a little bit of an, um, you know, uh, with New York real estate, there's a little bit of argument of, over how much vinyl is allowed in our apartment. And we're, uh, it's not much currently, and it, but it's already <laughs> kind of getting to the end. So there's a space issue. And there's also a, a how do you actually play music in a New York City apartment, right? Yeah. 
I have this weird. Someone gifted me a like one of those 1958 RCA um, console uh, stereos. You know, like your grandma might have. And uh, and it, it, I thought it was cool. I mentioned I thought they were cool, and all of a sudden one showed up. And again, that's great. Uh, it's cool, and especially like records from that era sound amazing on it. When I, I used to write about music more often, and I would go to some record label, and at some point I wasn't writing about the songs or the albums I would write about the business, but inevitably someone would say, here, come in and listen to this. And there was always this, this ritual where they would come in and play something on a giant speaker at super loud volume, and then there was this whole thing where you had to sort of nod your head appreciatively yeah. no matter whether you liked it or not, um, which I always thought was funny. And I always thought, like, no one that I know listens to music on giant speakers at giant volumes. No one can do that. No. I mean, I listen to so much of my music on the train. I, I've been in those, you know, I've visited people at major labels. It's always like major labels that do that. And that is the most awkward transaction I think I've ever been in. You're, what, like, are you the supposed nod. to, I mean, are you, can you talk? Are you supposed to talk? Right. Or are you not talking? Um, it's, it's really, I, I, they, they should ban that. that. Are they still doing it? I don't know. I don't think so. I haven't been in one of those offices in a long time. <laughs> I don't know. Those companies obviously are not thriving. So um, uh, I don't know if they still do that. Maybe they got rid of those people. I was asking this question with, with Beth before you came in, my producer. Are, are you on? Are you still I, use labels, right? Yeah, I'm on an lab, uh, indie label out of Brooklyn called Partisan Records. Partisan Records. That's for, for this album. Then what about The and Hold the Steady, which one. is your, your uh, The Hold job. Steady was on Vagrant for many years. The last record is on uh, was on Razor and Tie, but we haven't had a record in a while, so the next one will be on something, uh, you know, or if they're, you know. So for my continuing series of dumb questions, so the Hold Steady is still a thing. You're going to go back to that? Yeah, the Hold Steady, we, we didn't play for like 18 months, and then we played a few shows in September and then four in Brooklyn uh, in December. Now, like we, I think that that will be, you know, for the near future, probably the model, like try to find cities to put, play multiple shows in rather than go on an exhaustive tour. Because? There's, I mean, a lot of people are older and a lot of people, maybe not everyone has as much um, energy towards rock and roll as, so as I the, do. The band or the audience? Or uh, both? both, actually. Yeah. I mean, both, and, and you think of it that way. I mean, I think like the audience is older, you know, our biggest record was Boys and Girls in America, which was 2006. So if you were 23, 24, when you got into that record, you're now 34, you might be in a different place. Well, you go on a big six-week tour, you got to play somewhere on Monday night. So you're in Kansas City on Monday night, and your fans who are now 34 are like, oh, God, I, you know, I got to be at work <laughs> Tuesday morning, and I've got two kids now. Yep. And, you know, so I think, like, in the near future, to me, it makes more sense to say, like, Hey, we're gonna pick major American city and play three shows there Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Because we know we got enough people and can get babysitting. People can maybe, and if we put them on on sale in advance enough. I mean, when we did the Brooklyn shows, I met people from New Zealand, people from Norway, people traveled for it, and and it was really special, and it made it more special than like oh, they're gonna come around every six months, you know. So not only are your fan bases in these cities, but they're near airports; people can fly in to yeah. see you. How cool is that? Yeah, and I think the audiences. You know, I, I look out at our audience, and they look. Um, Pretty employed, you know? Um, so uh, I think people were, like, excited to come to Brooklyn for, you know, people who traveled. Like, this is yeah. a great place, great reason. And, you know, who knows? Maybe you put it in Chicago and it's the same weekend the Cubs are in town or something like that. And you can get people uh, traveling and, and be a part of something. Because it's not just about the band. It's about the fans coming together, too. So I, I met you – well, I went to junior high school with yeah. you. And then – And countryside, maybe elementary, too. That sounds right. right. Yeah. yeah I, I went one year there because I was at Highlands before, and we, we, like, moved over to countryside. Yeah. 
Countryside Elementary. Uh, yeah. Take the kids by there in a couple of weeks. Go do some sledding. So I remember running to you in a house party in Minneapolis after college. And everyone in Minneapolis after college or that age, early 20s, was in a band. Mm-hmm. I said, Craig, what are you doing? I'm in a band. Of course, you're in yeah. a band. And I just shrugged because everyone was yeah. in a band. And it turns out you were in this what became a really big band, mm-hmm. Lifter Puller. Big in Minneapolis. Big in Minneapolis, but like a, the big band in Minneapolis, yeah. which is a reasonably sized city, so you're a reasonably sized deal. But so that was up through basically the end of the music business, right? Up through the late yeah. 90s. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, Lifter Puller broke up in 2000, and I moved to New York just maybe a month later. And I do remember like when I – because I, I, when I moved to New York, I worked at this company called Digital Club Network, which was a, yeah. a webcasting company that um, – and I was kind of doing – It's part of uh, e-music, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, eventually. Uh, it was yeah. connected, uh, bought by the same people, yeah. Dimensional Capital. Um, but when I was there, you know, things like the Strokes and the AAS were happening. And that really felt like the last gasp of the music industry. I mean, that's when you had like – Still, people were getting big deals and buying right. records and things like that. But, but as that was, we sort of know, looking back, right, like the music industry peaked in like 99, 2000 because yeah. of Napster. So the idea that you could make a living making albums and, you know, getting a, an advance and getting royalties theoretically on a record, like that was pretty much gone yeah, five absolutely. years after that. You know, even, even now, like a, a big advance would still be – uh, you know, uh, not much more than than the cost of making a record, and my and it's kind of like the fish. And the cost of the cost of making a record keeps going down too. Yeah, right? I mean, you can make a record for next to nothing now. Um, but I feel like it's it's one of the, the music is one of those things. The fish the fish kind of expands to the size of the bowl. Yeah. If, you, if you get a hundred thousand dollars to make a record, somehow That's it costs ninety nine thousand. So where I was getting at was it was when you first got into music in a big way, there was a theoretical path to. Mm-hmm having a traditional music career and then your your second version which was the hold steady where you really got big that sort of had gone away by then had you sort of thought through like all right is this going to be a living or is this going to be something i do for fun yeah i mean I, there's this there's this a lot of people are excited or ask about this one moment when did you get to quit your job yeah. and the answer is you become unemployable first you know <laughs> you're you're always on tour no one wants to you know you can't come back to your job cuz you've missed too much cuz yeah cuz you launched the whole city it was a big deal and you still had this day job yeah. at digital club network i remember running into you there somewhere yeah yeah and so so you know, eventually it was like, can I go on tour? Sure. Can I go on tour? Sure. Can I go on tour? Maybe this isn't right, you know. So th- there's that. So you, it's a leap of faith. But you also are like, wow, when we're on the road, we make money and we're you know we're self sufficient. It's just we can't come home for that long. And um, but eventually, you know, with the whole study, we put it on a, on a, on a salary um, on everyone and. and um, so that led to some stability. But so if you're in the hold study, you get a check weekly or you, biweekly. You, you did. Yeah, you did. we're like, you know, like so when we went on break, we don't do that anymore. And so the business model, I mean, is it all from touring primarily? Shows, but also, you know, as a songwriter, there's some publishing. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, and that's that's weird because it's hard to plan for. But, you know, when Budweiser takes your song and puts it in an ad, this check shows up. You're in a Budweiser? And, uh, I have been. Yeah. Oh, good for you. Um, and, you know, those, those, that thing is, is a big part of it, too, as long as you're, you know, the songwriter. So 
you know, again, I used to write about this more often, but, uh, you know, when the music industry was collapsing, there was a certain group of people, a lot of them who I was sort of talking to and writing for in technology who would sort of say, all the musicians who are complaining about Napster and file sharing and then eventually mm-hmm. Spotify, any version of it, they got to get over it. They got to understand that the cost of distributing music is, is the marginal cost is, is zero, and they've got to find some other way. And usually they sort of shrug and say, go on tour. Yeah, which always seemed like an easy thing for them to say and harder for you to do. But it seems like that's actually the model you guys have. Yeah, I mean, I do. That's that's where. I mean, that's the the other thing about touring is, you know, if you're waiting for your check from your record label, well, the record store took their cut, the distributor took their cut, the label took their cut, and then they're kind of handing you this check that you you kind of have to accept whatever it is. Yeah. And and you know the 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 show. The club gives you the money, and then you pay your agent. So you're touching it first. So on some level, that's always going to be better. And you've got a fairly decent sense of what that show looks like. Yeah, and yeah, and what your expenses are, whether whether you can afford to bring like the extra crew guy, etc. You know, I, I, the one thing about the touring, though, that um, it struck me, and this is some years into after the uh, file sharing started, I was at a club in Indianapolis, and I looked at their calendar. And the week we were playing had like four great bands playing in Indianapolis that week. And I thought, you know, these rock and roll fans in Indianapolis can't be going out f- all five nights a week. So it, it does, like, everyone toured more. And I, I feel like when I see, like, ads for, you know, a place like B.B. King's, and, and, and yeah. like, I'm like, oh, my God, that band is still touring? Like, like, they have to tour, they, are and are they competing against tour? a million yeah. other people who are yeah. also having to tour. So, so that's kind of scary, you know. Um, you know, I noticed just the poster for Air Supply at BB King's, and I was like, "Wow, like, what does that look like? And why? And do they need to do that? You know." Supposedly, right? I mean, would assume they would say, "Well, we we love we love playing live music. We love yeah. to do this." I mean, it's one thing to do it in New York. I mean, I, yeah. are they doing it in in every small market in the U.S.? would be an, would be indication that they need to do it. So you had a big band in Minneapolis. You moved to New York, and usually the trajectory is, "I'm doing whatever in Minneapolis, and I want to make it bigger." And so I moved to New York, but you didn't do that. You were done with music. I remember running running yeah. into you, and you're like, "I'm not doing music now." Yeah, I, I, I mean, I sort of, that was one way of putting it. I, I was ready to not, I mean, Lifter Puller was big in Minneapolis, but I, I, I knew I wanted it to be, you know, more robust. And it was, to, we didn't really have a label or a agent and uh, we were touring, but it was like, you know, we'd go to Chicago, we'd only play for like 40 people, you know, and Minneapolis played for a lot of people. So like, it didn't feel like having some global idea, it didn't feel like it was really connecting outside of Minneapolis. And we'd done enough of that that I was like, well, I've You're done capped. that. Yeah. So I moved to New York to sort of see what would happen, I guess, is more likely. I mean, oh, I... So you thought you might pick it up again. It wasn't that I'm... I'm well, done. I was writing songs, but I was like, I need to like figure... I wanted to kind of have... I wanted to see if I just... I wanted a new experience, and, and living in New York was that. And um, I was married at the time. I'm not anymore. Um, I have a girlfriend of a long time now. But... um and, you know, I thought, well, this it was kind of like, are we going to buy the house and have the kid in Minneapolis, or are we going to do something else? And, and we decided to do something else. But I was writing songs the whole time, so after a few years, it was like, oh, I want to play these songs. You know? Something pushed you to do it. And yeah. Like, let's start up again. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there was actually a um, – what, what happened was um, this guy I knew 
had an improv comedy group called Mr. Ass. And uh, <laughs> he wanted us to play, me to put together a band. I was friends with him, and he wanted us to play covers uh, at his, at, at, like, sort of almost bumper music. And so I put together a band of these guys I knew, and, and then they was like, you should play your own song. And so I showed him one of the songs that I had, which is called Knuckles, which is on the first Old Steady record. And then we played that, and we were like, it's more fun to play our own music. So after we did that twice with the comedy troupe, we were like, we're just going to make this a we're, band. We're done being the Mr. Ass house yeah. band. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I was listening to the Seth Meyers podcast you did on the way up. You see, so you, you were just flashing forward, but you were just you did like a stint with him. With, I did, with his a, band yeah, over at the, end um, of the year, over right before Christmas. I did. Um, I sat in with the Eight G band, and that was um, they they usually have a guest drummer because Fred Armisen's the drummer, right? And he's never he's rarely there. So, but that he was there that week, and they decided to have a guest vocalist and. Uh, Fred, I know Fred from 93. We were, Lifter Puller was on the same label um, as Trenchmouth, his old band. Right, because Fred Armisen was a yeah, music guy. Yeah, he used to sleep on our couch um, when he was on tour and playing in Minneapolis. So, And he was always funny. And I know in the, and so know some of the other guys in HG Band, too. Um, so they had me up, and it was really fun. You compose all the music the same day because they don't license. I mean, they license, I think, like one song a day, which would be the song I would perform. Um, but... The rest is composed and you do an and, instant song. Yeah, yeah. It's the same way that Seth and those guys are making monologues. Right? Yeah, monologues yeah. We write the songs. And you go come in at noon or something, and you write the songs, and then you play them. And they're short because you know there's only so much time for them. But uh, it, it's really it's really fun, and I loved the energy of you know you build something all day, and then it's over. And it's over, you know. And I'd done TV with the band before, and it's always striking to me like you're there all day to play one song, you know, when when you're a guest, and you play the song, and then it's God, it's over so quick, and the cameras kind of roll away, yeah. and everyone's gone, and uh, you're kind of like out on the street with your equipment, like what what happened? Bye bye. But uh, I really love the energy. I mean, I wondered if it was like being a trader or something, where the market's closed, and you kind of are like. It's it's kind done of, for the day. Kind of like blogging a little bit. I kind of, that's yeah. one of the reasons I like that is like you write and then you, you hit publish and you're done. Yeah, and it's then out. and then you do it the next day. I mean, yeah. that was the cool thing. And there's um, no homework for it. Seth told me that they they try not to uh, talk too much about the show after it's done. Like if you know if you're like ah oh, that didn't go so well, but then you sleep on it and you're like oh, let's just try to do it better today tomorrow. Yeah, and also you've got to do a new one. Yeah, the next yeah, day. yeah. So. That was actually a, a friend of mine on. Um, a friend of mine worked for Letterman for a long time, and he was very influential on in, um, the way I write songs. In that he was he was one time telling me he was annoyed by depictions of writer's block in movies, like with a blinking cursor. Yeah, and he was like, you know, my show's going on at eleven p.m. We have to try yeah. to write it. And, and Letterman's then, a real factor, right? Those guys are like in a cubicle, like pounding out hundreds of things. A yeah, day. yeah, they, I think they literally so. put it like in a tube. I think, and you know, so it's like you have to try to make it write a show and then try to make it good. And that's kind of how that changed my songwriting. I was like, well, I'm just you know block off two hours. I'm going to write a song, and then it's done. And then, well, and then I'm going to say decide. I'm going to put it aside, and then I'll revisit and see if it's good. But if I have something on page, I'm sure this is like writing. You know. There's something on the page you can start moving things around, but if it's a blank page, you got nothing. Blank page is the worst thing. <laughs> I'm, I would much rather take something that someone else wrote and start monkeying with it, yeah. than look at the blank screen. Yeah, exactly. And that's and that's in songs that really works, you know. So we were talking about business models. We make some money here through our fine advertisers, so we're going to hear from them and come right back. First up, here's my boss, Kara Swisher. For companies to succeed today, they need builders, and builders need tools that allow them to innovate. The problem is most cloud vendors don't offer the range of tools builders are looking for. Amazon Web Services is a leading cloud service provider giving builders the reliability and security they need. 
AWS pioneered cloud computing over 10 years ago to help any business from the smallest startups to the biggest global enterprises create their own applications and manage their workloads. By listening to what customers want, AWS is adding more features and services than any other cloud provider while consistently reducing prices. So if you'd rather focus on creating a business instead of an infrastructure, check out podcast.aws. Learn how AWS can help you build a better future today and let builders build. Today's show is also brought to you by HostGator. Are you ready to take your website to the next level? I hope you are, because if you're a first-time blogger or if you're an experienced pro, HostGator has all the tools you need to create a great-looking website or even an online store. And if you ever need a boost in hosting power, HostGator can offer cloud, VPS, dedicated server hosting that can easily handle maximum visitor traffic. See what HostGator can do for your website. Right now, Recode listeners get 60% off. That's 6-0. You go to HostGator.com slash Recode. That's HostGator, spelled like an alligator, G-A-T-O-R dot com slash Recode. Back here with Craig Finn, who I'm not going to call a rock star. I'll call him working musician, <laughs> who has an album out. He will tell us what his album is called one more time. We all want the same things. So you can go buy that album? Yeah, yeah. Do you care where they buy it, by the way? Does it matter for you if they buy it at iTunes versus... Do you, you know what really helps... Can they buy it from your store? What really helps musicians is that there's a pre-order, and we do our pre-order through Pledge Music. But uh, anything in advance really helps because... Uh, it there's there's more more you know it, it's good for the first week but I think more ends up in the artist's pocket you know um, so so there's two things one is the actual economics you'll 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 end up with more of that yeah I mean you know we'll do some, we also there's more stuff to like we offer like you know sign by and all there's test pressings there's things to add on which of course you know are are helpful yeah um, and but, then and then also you still care about sort of where it places or, or there's momentum and I don't the charts say and, I'm hugely involved in that game but but theoretically it helps yeah. I literally can't remember the last time I bought an album some of it is that I've aged out of music mm-hmm. in some ways. But even last year, two of my favorite bands, who again were bands that I liked in the 90s, De La Soul and Tribe Called Quest, both had albums, and that made my day. And I listened to both on Spotify. On Spotify, I yeah. I guilt about it, but I, I mean, didn't buy it. I, yeah, I, I mean, that's just kind of, but, you know, both those bands probably had pretty good years on other ways, you know? And uh, and that's just, that's just the, I mean, you know, it's kind of like automation. It's like these things are some of these things aren't coming back so we can't yeah i don't really think about like why aren't people buying my albums i i hope they're in, enjoying the music um and that it will lead to other things and you kind of have to i think you have to have faith in that and i mean you've got a really committed core fans people who fly in from new zealand yeah. so do you sort of count on them to buy the album regardless for that same reason? Well, you'd hope that there's, you're, you're offering something that they have i mean for every person that's like i only listen on spotify which i get because I get it. You know, there's the other guy who's like, well, I can't, I find this seven inch that you put out in 1994 and I need to, my life can't move forward until I get it. And there's those people too. So there's a mix. Yeah. And where do you find new music? I just, I'm, I really listen to a lot of Spotify. Spotify Discover, do you use, mm-hmm. are you a Spotify guy? I'm not a Spotify guy, but I actually listen to Napster, which is just the, uh, a friend of mine works it's there. And, Rhapsody owns that brand. Yeah, but it's now, yeah. I think now they call it Napster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, a friend of mine like gave me a free account, and uh, and then uh, I sort of got hooked on the interface. So uh, it just, I don't know, it was more intuitive to me. And, and are... are 
you, I don't know what Napster does in terms of the, uh, sort of discovery curation. Do they have something where they present stuff to you, or you go tell? Yeah, them there probably you want? is, but I tend to. I, I read a lot about music still, and also just being on the road, you see what bands are playing. You're like, oh, that looks like something. I might I, be let me good. go listen to this. But I do kind of use that as a music discovery. I'm, I'm not usually led by them, but I am led by reviews or you know word of mouth. People say, oh, that's a cool band, and I'll go check it out. And then do you have some tipping point where you're like, all right, if there's two songs I like, I'll buy the album. Um, You know, yeah, maybe. Or sometimes it's just like I think that's something I want, or sometimes I'll be in the record store and be like, I want to hear that. That looks cool. I mean, the thing about the album, I really like the artwork and all that, but also it comes with a download card usually, so you can get it on the, on the device that you're more likely to listen to music. Yeah. On. So what is the difference between a, a Craig Finn solo album and a Hold Steady album? Well, I mean, the, the solo stuff kind of burns a little slower maybe or burns a little um, less. <laughs> the Hold Steady is a bigger, more rocking thing, and I'd, I'd say um, the solo thing is a little less less big. But um, This one sounds kind of big to but me. It's there's a lot big. of production. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it sounded pretty yeah. similar to Hold Steady. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, this one has a lot of horns and stuff. I mean, the one thing, like, as far as the songwriting goes, is I pretty much just write the lyrics for the Hold Steady. We get in a room. The way songs come out is we get in a room, and Tad usually has riffs, and we play them, and I'm yelling into a microphone, and a while later we have a song where... With this solo stuff, I'm kind of like playing a guitar and I write the song, a very simple song. And then I'll show, you know, in in the past I've shown it to the Hold Steady guys and it's not like, oh, no, that we don't want that song, like put it on your solo album. It's more like almost by the point of the having music and lyrics together, we've we've had a hard time Hold Steadifying the song and uh, it ends up just kind of being a solo song. I like that you use Hold Steadifying as a, as a, <laughs> yeah, as a verb because I wanted to use Springsteeniness as an yeah, adjective. That that I understand where you'd be going with that. So so that Springsteeniness that's in in the Hold Steady stuff, and, and I think in this album yeah. as well. That through line is that Tad? Is that you? Is it both of you? Probably both of us. I mean, although if it's on the solo record, it's it's right, just you. me there. Although he's on this one, as well, yeah, he right? does play some yeah. guitar on this. Um, you know, and Springsteen's something, it's like, I've been obviously compared to a lot, because I am a huge fan, and, uh, you know, he's a literate guy with a with a great backing band and, and, and a musical thing that uh, references both, you know, new music, new rock, but also, you know, harkens back to classic rock and older rock, which uh, which is something also, the Hold Steady's use of the piano also yep. really kind of connected us to Springsteen and, and the East Street Band. And the horns. But Springsteen's something that I came to in my 20s. Um, I was going to ask, because I don't, I mean, I listened to Bruce Springsteen, but I listened to the same way that everyone, we're the same age. Yeah. We, we all listen to, you know, Born in the USA. Yeah. But it, at least in Minnesota, it wasn't like you talk to people who grew up on the East Coast, like, I love Bruce yeah. Springsteen, but it, there wasn't that yeah. connection. And we, we were into indie rock bands and yeah. men and whatever. I was nervous about, I was, you know, I was sort of identifying as an indie rocker, like a mild punk rocker. So, you know, to me, listening to Husker Du and the Replacements was something that was, you know, hipper than listening to Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, almost kind of the conventional wisdom among a little subset of us, right? Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't think Springsteen was that hip. Um, I also was kind of mistrustful of, like, Led Zeppelin. And it was... I sort of just burned out on indie at some point in the 20s or got more... I don't know, I kind of went back and folded back into, like, 
you know, really getting all the Rolling Stones records and Springsteen and Led Zeppelin. Right. So all the stuff that we would have listened to in like KQRS. Yeah, yeah. And then but, that discarded because it was but, old guy music. Or yeah, yeah, old guy music. But maybe then like you know, getting a copy of Let It Bleed and and hearing the songs that they didn't play on KQRS, like the 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 deeper cuts and being like, oh, this is actually kind of amazing. And, Monkey Man's an amazing yeah, song, right? And, and and like, yeah, I like it. Goat's Head Soup because mix mix wearing the cape. And, you know, like like this real kind of decadent um, thing. And it was just like, you know, I burned out on indie because it was it was it was kind of at some point just got really nerdy um, to me. And that's <laughs> yeah. that's I mean, you've got a bunch of songs about that, right? Stay Positive is, yeah, is, is about of, that. Yeah. Sort of burning out on that scene. Yeah. And, and, and also sort of wanting to do something. I mean, even the level of Lifter Polar was big in Minneapolis. It was. I wanted to do something that was, you know, we still did like weird shows at art galleries that no one knew about, you know, and like we're kind of deliberately not for everyone or something. And I, I think when we started the Hold Steady, it was very, we, we had conversations. We wanted to be really inclusive. Yeah, I, I got to say, I was, I didn't love Lifter Polar. It was a little, a little, a little aggressive for me. <laughs> yeah. Um, I can admit that now. Yeah. And when I heard that you had a new band, I'm like, oh, well, it's going to be like that. So yeah. probably not for me. And when I eventually heard, I'm like, oh, this is yeah. accessible. It was more accessible. It was more wide open, I think, and a less less jagged or less spiky or yeah, something. That's that's a good word. And uh, and and it was reflective of what we what we were listening to, kind of more open minded and more, um, but also just really wanting to be inclusive. And now it's again, I'm I'm really not listening that much, but it seems like there's a thread of that sort of that kind of music that people are newly appreciative of, Titus Andronicus, who sure. you've worked with. Yeah. Um, again, sort of similar sort of indie rock plus Springsteen. Yeah. Well, Springsteen really had a, I think has had a, a second or third or fourth act or something. I think, you know, that people really, I, I don't know, people admired his, I don't know what the word is, but his, just his, his work ethic and his inclusiveness and his his words and I mean I think bands like big bands like Arcade Fire I mean I think are, yeah. are, take some Springsteen and um, yeah I just always thought of him as sort of kind of a regional like I knew that he was a giant international star but yeah. at least growing up in the Midwest just did not come through there yeah it's funny though that um, I saw him in St Paul and I felt the same way but then I saw him in 2007 in St Paul and like you know all the bars around the XL Center. We're like cranking Springsteen and sure. stuff, and I was like, "Oh, maybe this is, this is always there," and I was just wasn't paying attention, you know. I, I music was, you know, like I, I needed, I needed people to know that I was uh, this one way uh, when I was younger, and like you know, it was I always think about. I would go to shows at First Avenue, and you'd go to the merch table, and you could buy the record, or you could buy the T-shirt, and I always buy the T-shirt because like. If I bought the record, who at school would know I went to the show? Mm -hmm. You know, and um, I guess there's a part of going, getting over that. That, uh, that that's yeah, important. I think about that, and I also think about the idea that at a certain point for me, like even knowing about music or even having a chance to listen to it, meant that you displayed some kind of commitment because you had to get on a bus or get your mom to take you to first. Yeah. However, yeah. you got to first Avenue. Um, and that you had to expend effort to, to know about this stuff and consume it. And again, that's all sort of gone now, right? It's one button, anything you want. And yeah. on the one hand, that's great. You can literally hear anything you want. On the other hand, it seems like it's less earned, so it's less cool. But yeah, I got to get over that. Yeah, there's there's less, I mean, less, um, less commitment or less discovery. I mean, think about buying like, uh, you know, sort of pre-Nirvana, buying – alternative rock record or whatever it was called. Under, I would say underground rock back then. And uh, 
you had to go to like a place like or folk Jokobus or something like it wasn't like you could go to Musicland and there's all these records, but they weren't those records. And so you had to go to like almost a specialized store, right. Northern Lights, yeah, music. or something Northern Lights or folk and 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 buy the. And I remember like explaining that to my mom, like you know, like she was like, well, why do we just go to that record? Like they're not going to have the good stuff. They're not going to have like, it. Well, what? What is this stuff you're into? And so the idea of like sort of setting yourself apart, yeah. was part of the thing. Yeah, it's a new, it's an identity. And so, do you think about that when you're looking at people who are consuming your stuff now and realizing it's for many of them? It's, it's I mean, you, again, they come from New Zealand to see your show, so that's some serious effort. Yeah, but for a lot of them, it's a, it's a button, and then they hear something else, and they move sure. on. And maybe sure. means less to them. I think maybe, but I don't know. Like I suspect, I I get the feeling just from talking to the people who come to our shows, that these people are, they're like Springsteen fans. They are really into yeah. this one thing. It's not like, yeah, I want to, you know, I meet a lot of people that have gone they to They didn't like, stop by. Yeah, a lot of people are going to their 45th show, and, you know, they're, they're you know, it's not like, oh, I went to nine shows this week. It's like, uh, you know, I, I traveled <laughs> I traveled 1,200 miles to go to this one. <laughs> That's cool. We're going to take another quick break so we can hear from our sponsors. This podcast is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Are you guys hiring? We are hiring over at Vox Media and Recode, so we know all about this. If you are hiring, do you know how to post your job to find the best candidates? Posting your job in one place is not enough to find quality candidates. If you want to find the perfect hire, what you need to do is go to all the top job sites, which you can do by going to ZipRecruiter.com. They post your job to more than 200 sites, including Facebook and Twitter. One click and you're done. You find candidates in any city or industry nationwide. Post it once. Watch your qualified candidates roll in, which sounds funny to me, but I bet it's cool. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by Fortune 100 companies and thousands of small and medium-sized businesses. Here's the deal for you, my listeners. You can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash Peter. That's zip, Z-I-P, recruiter.com slash Peter. One more time because it's free for you. You can listen. Go to ziprecruiter.com slash Peter. Thank you, Zip Recruiter. We're back here with Craig Finn. I was reading one of the articles about one of the other solo albums you did, and it was, they said, well, this, is, this is Craig's 9-11 album. It's mm. 15 years later. Everyone's getting their head around Trump. Do you think your music is generally not political? Springsteen is often more political. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you think that's going to change the way you, you, can, you create music? Um, I'm not sure. I mean, I do feel like we are uh, in a, a new times. Um, I think this record I'm putting out right now, We All Want the Same Things, talks about a lot of characters that are in, you know, it's it's more anecdote-based and stories, but it's a lot of people that are, well, I would say not all the characters voted probably the same way I did. And um, I would say a number of them don't have health insurance. And I think a lot of them are struggling in today's America and uh, just trying to get through. And the stories and the songs are about people who are trying to trying to push through and you know this 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 world today. So in some ways that is um, political on some level. But yeah, we feel I, I, I certainly you know more than ever before I get really angry when you're on social media and people say like you know to someone you know stick to singing. Because I mean, or stick to sports, or whatever. Stick to the, sports, stick and to it's tech. like you know, whatever you are, I, I am, I am a singer, um, or a ranter, or a talker, or whatever you might say. But I'm also a small business owner, and um, uh, at very least, I think I have the right to express my opinion as that. Do you think your audience all votes the same way? Do you think like no. you sort of no? You think it's a it's a heterogeneous crowd? 
I think it's it's a mixed crowd, but I'm guessing you know most people vote the same way as I do. Yeah. yeah. So, but but I think there are definitely Trump voters in in my audience. Like, do you think about mm, maybe I gotta you know everyone in my blue state bubble spent <laughs> the last few months going I don't even know anyone like this. Like, I literally can't comprehend this. Was that? <laughs> do you sort of know? Oh, I know what some Trump voters look like because I've seen them in my yeah. My I mean, you also are touring, right. so you're going to different parts of America, and. Um, no, I mean, I, my my friends in the Drive By Truckers made a great album called American Band last year that was very explicitly political, and they lost. You know, they 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 got some negative feedback from some portion of their fan base. I was sort of like, I don't know what Drive By Truckers you guys were listening to before, because I always thought right. they're a political band. But um, you know, this was maybe one click more more explicit. But I, yeah, I see. I mean, I think I think I, I I think Springsteen has people in his audience, obviously that are that are. Mixed and people's politics are, are are hard to predict when they're at the show, but um, I'm sure, I'm sure. But that doesn't, you know, and and nor do I think that all, you know, the people who vote differently than me are inherently bad, even in this election. But I I would differ than you know. I would say that maybe they aren't asking the same questions I'd ask. I saw Louis C.K. play in Philadelphia the week before the election, mm-hmm. and I thought. Okay, at some point in this hour and a half, whatever it is, he's going to reference because he's talked about Trump a bunch of times on social yeah. media, and, and it's in Philadelphia. Not a word. By the end of it, like it seemed almost like strange for him not to even acknowledge the election yeah. in any way. And I always thought, well, is he possibly concerned about losing an audience? That doesn't seem right. It seemed like a real conscious effort for him to not do that. Yeah, I mean, the one thing I would say, and I just did this living room tour where people. We put, I played in living rooms and people invited strangers into their house. And it felt like mildly political, mildly revolutionary to just get people in a room um, all together, people you don't know, and invite them into your house. And I think that like at a rock show, it, every day, every year, it gets more and more important that we have these experiences. We all get in the same room together because as we know, we can – you know, yep. we can sit sit in our computers and we can and be in the same room and be separate. Yeah, and um, to be focused on the same thing, I think, is more and more important. I think Trump voters found that same thing at those rallies. You know, like like I think that there was a lot of power that he gained from putting those people in the same room and saying, like, these people think like me. I feel like, you know, going to a rock show is great. Uh, you feel like, all right, the, you know, and what a like when I'm at a show and I look over and there's a guy in a Titus Andronicus shirt. I can say, hey, man, Titus, did you see that last show at Webster Hall? And that's not weird. Right. You know what I mean? Like now we're, we're here, we're, we're together, and we're able to talk. Um, and I think those moments are, are very important. And I think like that's one of the things that still excites me about doing music is, is building these communities. Talk about Springsteen a lot. But I want to make sure you played with him, right? I sang with sang Bruce him. at Carnegie Hall. How cool is that? It was pretty cool. I we sang Rosalita, and uh, um, he invited a bunch of us on. We, it was a night that was kind of paying tribute to him. Yeah, and we were told. I don't think. I think it was expected that he wouldn't be there, but then he was there, and he got up and he played uh, Rosalita, and uh, he invited some of us to sing. And he, I sang the first verse, and then a couple other people took the other verses. But it was pretty there's obvious. Lot, there's a lot going on in that one, right? Yeah, yeah. I, it was pretty obvious. I knew it pretty well, so he let me kind of bring it home, and. Uh, it was great. I mean, you know, there there was a moment where I was like, I'm singing with Bruce Springsteen, and I need to um, not think about that for five minutes because, like, I just got to get through this. Where does that rank in your 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 all time cool <laughs> things you get to do as a rock star? Pretty high up there. I mean, he's pretty, and um, 
you know, I, I was able to meet him through that, although it was a little later. And, uh, you know, very, very good and very supportive. And, and you know, you, they say don't meet your heroes, but I think Bruce is, you know, sort of transcends that. Um, opening for the Stones was another one. Uh, I opened for the Stones in Slane Castle in Dublin, and that was a that was a big one too. I mean, although do you, do you interact with them when you open for them, oh, or you just no. go no, oh, no, no, <laughs> no, no, no. We we got. I don't think we got anywhere near them. And I and I also, you know, <laughs> it's great to say you open for the Stones, but not many people are there to check out the opening band. Yeah, <laughs> but it was cool. Did that, how did that go over? I'd say it was all right. I mean, it was raining. And, you know, it could have gone, I think it was, it was, no one was hostile, but I, you know, I think people were pretty ready for the Stones to come yeah. on. Yeah. Other cool things I know that you've done, you did a, you get to do a, you create a Minnesota Twins theme song? Well, we did a take me, a version you did of take, take me out, out okay. to the ball game and I'm, I'm the, a big the, Twins fan. They played in the stadium, right? Uh, yeah, they played it in the stadium for a season and uh, we never, we never did it like live. Oh, they but, played your version yeah, throughout the season. Yeah. Yeah. They played it in like every, every, every game pretty much. Uh, I, I used to have a connection to the music guy there who was a really good guy, but he doesn't work there anymore. So you, you guys got a shout out in uh, Lost? Well, for our classmate we did. Eddie Kitsis. Uh, uh, our classmate Eddie Kitsis, who's you know remains my best friend, um, is was a writer on Lost, and 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 I think uh, threw that in there. Uh, Hugo or Hurley, it was it was. Uh, and I said it, and you know it's always he was wearing the t-shirt, right? It, it, no, he asked a girl if she wanted to go see the whole study oh, at. I thought someone was wearing a whole study t-shirt at one point there too. I mean, that may be possible, okay. but. Uh, any rate, any interaction with TV, and we've also been on, like, had a connection with Game of Thrones. That's the last one I was going to um, ask you about. Anytime you connect with TV, you realize how much bigger TV is than music. Because that Lost thing, I remember I was sitting in a diner eating dinner with the band in Canada, and all of our phones just started shaking. And it was, the, someone mentioned us on Lost. How that's very cool, and then yeah, so Game of Thrones. There's there's a, at the end of one of the episodes, the yeah, bear, we, right? Yeah, the bear was made in fair, and that was the 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 day. Uh, the guys who run the show were fans and said, and they, I think they've done one every one every season where a band well, they like bring the, in a contemporary band. Yeah, the National play. did one, I think, and uh, and they you know because the song was in the book, so we didn't write the song, uh, or the lyrics were anyways. Um, so we kind of created uh, the song, and they they had an idea of they wanted a kind of a drinking song. And um, it was cool, but again, so it's the end, it's the scene ends, the episode ends, your yeah. song comes on. Not only the scene ends, but the guy get his hand chopped off, right? And right. then and then it goes black, and the song comes in. So uh, I found that doubly thrilling, right? Because the guy got his hand chopped yeah. off, and then there's Craig's band. Yeah, it's yeah, amazing. that was cool. And uh, we we did. Um, I I don't know the show that well. I mean, I know my girlfriend watches it. A lot of the guys in the band watch it, but I I, I haven't watched it. I haven't really plugged in. But we did get to visit the set and outside of Belfast, and that was. Uh, that was really cool. Like even without watching the show, it was like, wow, this is actually kind of. I mean, they have this kind of these worlds created. It's pretty cool to watch people, at least for me, because I'm a nerd about this stuff. Even if I ever get to go in a studio a lot mm -hmm. and get to see, oh, that that guy's in a costume, yeah. going to make a sh TV show or movie or something. Yeah, That's yeah. still pretty cool. We watched a scene getting shot, and then there was like an ice world. Uh, yeah. Or something that was like that was fascinating because it was like this white kind of cottony, you know. It's the wall, I think. Yeah, the wall. Maybe I mean, I've watched every episode. I should know. But yeah, I'm gonna feign like I don't know. It yeah, in great detail. <laughs> I think it's the wall. That's sounds... and you you that's and you talked about that at the beginning. That's money for you too. In this case, that someone had written the song. Yeah, so, so that was. Publishing. I mean, uh, that wouldn't necessarily generate, but you know, other things do. Like you know, and sometimes it's a little thing. Like you know, it's just, you're in the background of. Uh, 
you know, law and order or whatever. And but it's it adds up, and that and that's helpful. So, do you think it's some like so? We're two middle aged guys sitting here talking about rock and roll. Do you? How long do you think you will be touring? Do you think you're going to be Air Supply playing Baby King in probably, 30 years? Probably, probably. I mean, I like that's the other thing is I think I'm I'm in. I like it more than other people. I really like the travel. Now, I don't have kids, so I think like you know, like it's I keep myself pretty like it, like it's light, you know, as far as my like things weighing me down. But I really enjoy like I I I like nothing more than being in a strange city and kind of lost. So the touring's exciting to me. I'm about to go. You're not for, bored with it. No, no, I like it. I really like it, and um, I like the performances. I like the community. I think other people have less tolerance for it than I do. But you know, I, I I would hope I'm not doing out of complete necessity when I'm 70 years old. Something you like, and also you know, you've got the image of the hold steady is rock and roll, beery, yeah. boozy, but you can't keep that up forever. Right? Yeah, and that's sort of, sort of that. a little bit. I mean, there's some of that now, but it's definitely uh, changed. I, I think at some point when we started doing you know over 100 days a year, it was like, well, we can't really behave like this. And that was both both like what you were doing on stage and hanging out after stage, but also like the, the characters and sort of the mm-hmm. themes of the the songs. Right? Yeah. It was sort of it was all just sort of one big. Yeah, it was a very celebratory thing, and uh, I think you know I, I think in Lifter Puller I really wrote about the most debauched the party stuff. Hold steady, I wrote about like both the 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 party and the hangover. And in the, in the solo work, I think I'm more into writing about, you know, kind of people being kind of on the other side of all of it and, and wondering if they're kind of stuck or, or trying to get out of being stuck or uh, trying to sort of rise above their circumstance. Do you, do you find that people, your fans, casual fans, get that there's you singing a song and you're singing in a, the character of someone else and there's a distinction? Most people do, but there is – I always find that there – I've always said there's – more of an expectation for pe- things to be confessional in songwriting um, than like filmmaking. You know, no one thinks Quentin Tarantino does the things that are in his films. Quentin would love it if that was the case. <laughs> yeah. but uh, but you know, songs people are like, did you really do that? You know, there there seems to be an issue of authenticity with with music in some way in songwriting. Yeah. You know, people like you know people love like 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 you know that guy's really down home. That guy like lives in a shack with a shotgun, so he can sing that song. Some of that's like late seventies on, right? Singer songwriter, like they're like no. Just a different style of music and a different perception of it. But I, I got to say, I'm, I'm fairly sophisticated about this stuff. And I remember when I first when I was hearing your, your Separation Sunday album, like well, Craig and I went to a leafy. We grew up in a leafy suburb. <laughs> I, don't, I don't. Maybe he had a whole alternate lifestyle, but I don't remember this being part of Craig's lifestyle. I'm like, oh no, they're characters. Yeah, they're characters. And I, I mean, I think I'm trying to do something that's somewhat cinematic, if that if that makes sense. Yeah, and people get it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, 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 most people get it. Yeah. Uh, the um, the whatever thing I got from your guys that had a little bit of an explanation for each song, mm-hmm. which is cool. Will someone be able to see the? There's like a paragraph of explanation for each one of the songs. Oh, I'm someone sure. Be, I don't. Know. I mean, that's probably that? that was press materials, but I'm sure it'll end up on the internet somewhere. Little liner notes. There was a great thing about you said something about codependence. Another codependency song. Yeah, a lot of the songs in this new record, we all want the same things, is about are about kind of these these kind of. You know, this modern version of love, which is, I sort of say, uneasy partnerships of, you know, people like pooling their resources to kind of get forward. And I think, you know, like, you know, living in New York, people, the real estate being so high, people move in after their third date, you know. Yes, you have a lot of real estate relationships. Yeah. And um, I, I think there's like, there's versions of that throughout the record of people kind of like making these teams. You know, when you're 28, you go to the, like, there's this summer, you go to nine weddings. And then yes. you're 45, and some of those are kind of, they're kind of unraveling. 
And you, but you always hear your friends are saying, but we're such a good team. You know, we get the kids at school on time. We, uh, we mm-hmm. put dinner on the table, you know, like we, 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 uh, we do the handoff after school so well. Um, and so it's kind of, that, that made, got me thinking a lot about how, how we kind of make these partnerships to get through. Ooh, I gotta listen. I gotta re-listen to everything with that with that mindset, Craig. This is super fun. Thanks, Peter. Let's do it again in less than twenty years. Yeah, <laughs> go buy Craig's album. Where? What's What's the best uh, place for them to find you it? You know, whatever works for you. But let's say um, in your local record store, an independent record store would be the nicest for everyone. Go find an extant exist, uh, local record store and, and consume it there. Thanks, Craig. Take care. Thanks to you guys for listening. This was super fun. You know how to listen to all this stuff because you're listening to it right now. But in to remind you, you can go find us on the NPR One app as well as your other fine podcast purveyors. You know how to find Kara Swisher's show, Rico Decode, Lauren Good has uh, Too Embarrassed to Ask, all easy to find at your favorite podcast distribution outlet. And thanks to Amazon Web Services, MacWeld, HostGator, and ZipRecruiter. Thanks, you guys, so much for supporting this free show. Thanks to Digital Media for selling all those ads. Thanks again for listening. I'm very thankful today. This is Recode Media. I'm back next week with another great guest. Hello, Recode Media listeners. I always say in the outro, you guys are smart because you know how to find podcasts like this one. And guess what? I'm right. You are very smart. Here's what I'm asking from you folks. Tell other people who may also be smart but don't know about podcasts yet to go listen to a podcast. Go suggest a podcast to them. This is part of a promotion we're doing this month along with other podcasters. It's called Tripod. Get it? So go ahead and tell someone about a podcast you like. Maybe even tell them about this podcast. And then tell us what you shared with the hashtag tripod that's t-r-y pod i don't need to spell it for you because you are smart thank you